I want to read from Mark chapter 4, verse 30. Actually, a couple of verses, verse 30 through 32. So, listen carefully to how he's saying this. And he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. I love the way this little exchange here, and actually it continues on for quite a few verses, but it starts off with this question. What shall we say the kingdom of heaven is like? What parable can we use to describe it? Father, let the word do all that it's capable of doing in us tonight. In Jesus' name, stir us, mess us up a little bit. Challenge us, strengthen us, empower us, equip us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. High five about three people before you're seated and tell them, you know, I love you and you can't do anything about that. So Mark chapter 30, well, let me say, first of all, we are, we know what our theme for the year is the word that God, uh, gave us, uh, gave our pastor, um, that this is the year to go vertical and part of going vertical is there's, you know, everything, the most meaningful things in life, um, especially including the kingdom of God are the things that happen on an exchange basis. There's always supposed to be a trade, an exchange. God so loved the world that he gave. Why? For nothing in return? He gave so he could win many sons back to God. Everything is an exchange basis. We are in our quest to go vertical and live the elevated life. We are redefining normals. Because it desperately needs to be redefined. Last week I talked from Matthew 13, which is a very powerful passage of scripture to set the premise for this. Because what it is, is it's Jesus looking at a very mixed congregation. um, Some very religious people, some very hungry, broken, hurting people. Some there to test him, to mock him. Some there because they sincerely wanted to learn. But he, he, he begins to unwrap a mystery, a mystery that is for everybody, but unfortunately it's not going to involve everybody. And he takes the 13th chapter of Matthew alone, and it continues on to the 14th chapter. In one chapter of Matthew, chapter 13, he uses nothing but parables. It's not like the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going to summarize last week very quickly. Um, It's not like the Sermon on the Mount where he he, says it in plain plain English. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, and on and on. He tells these parables, and it's so noticeable that the disciples pull them off to the side and say, "Why why are you only talking in parables? 
And he says, because I'm talking about something that not everybody can know about. Unto you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And he's talking about the church, the kingdom of God. And he refers to the people, others in the crowd. And he said, but some of these have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see hearts and they can't understand. And he takes this chapter and and in, in one chapter, in one setting there with his disciples, there is eight different parables that he uses. All of these parables are giving us a different angle, perspective of the reality of the kingdom. He teaches eight parables to illuminate the kingdom from different angles, and each angle allows us to see another characteristic of the kingdom. Why is that so important? Because everything about the kingdom to which you and I are pursuing and, 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 and going all out for it is going to be diametrically opposed to your normal. That's what the discourse in Matthew 13 is. And many other places, he provokes the people to think along a certain line with him by by opening the conversation the way he opens Mark chapter 4. He said, what shall we liken the kingdom of God to? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm opening the door for you to enter into something that is unlike anything you have ever known. You think you understand this, but you don't understand this. As God's ways are uh, as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, says the Lord, right? And he's explaining the kingdom of God. This is such a profound and such a powerful insertion. It's a mystery. The prophets didn't even see it clearly. And he tells his disciples the reality of this kingdom that I'm inviting you into the dynamics, the benefits, the value that is available to you, the power that you will access and have available to you in the kingdom, it has to come by revelation. You will not be able to just think about this or logic your way through this. This is going to come by revelation. Amen? Paul said it like this, the kingdom of God isn't meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's, that, that we could really unwrap that maybe another time, but he, he says it's not meat or drink. In other words, you don't come into and you don't grasp and come to an understanding of the kingdom by anything in the natural means. By no way in the level of carnality, and that doesn't mean wicked. Carnal doesn't mean wicked or corrupt. You got that? It's the, the root word, carn. It's where we get the word carnival, which is simply what? It's an entertainment of the flesh, rides and cotton candy and whatever. A carnivorous animal is an animal that only eats flesh. A carne asada burrito is a burrito that has... All right? It's just... In the natural realm, and Paul says the kingdom of God is so far above, it's almost completely disconnected, detached from the carnal or the natural realm. It's righteousness, peace, and joy, all of it in the Holy Ghost. Isaiah 45, 3, God says, I save, I hide 
things in darkness. The riches are stored in secret places so that you will know that I am the Lord thy God. Some of the things, well, let me rephrase that. Most of the things that pertain to your access and your capacity and your potential in the kingdom of God are not things immediately discovered and known when you walk through the door. Or we would all get saved one night and wake up the next morning and we would be raising people from the dead and we'd all be amazing. Unfortunately, most people stop way short of accessing what is really available to them. And so he starts Mark 4. He says, what should we liken the kingdom of God to? It's hard to even communicate through stories and through parables the dynamic of the kingdom. You just got to follow me around for about three years and you'll have to see it for yourself. Jesus was constantly teaching the fact that there was a very significant difference to to what had become normal for them and what would be normal in the kingdom. And some of it had to just do with, you know, life matters. Like he would say this. He would say, look, the Gentiles or, or outside of, of, of the covenant people of God, Gentiles lord authority over the people that they rule. But it shall not be so among you. For if you want to be great in the kingdom... You must abase yourself and become the servant of all. Well, that's backwards. Look at your neighbor and say, everything about the kingdom is backwards. The way to be exalted is to base yourself. He goes on and, and he says in Matthew chapter 3, he says, and he, 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 he takes verses 1 through 12 to talk about character. Of, of kingdom people. And then he goes into the significant differences between what has become normal for them in terms of their thought and their perspective, and then a whole new radical way of normalcy in the kingdom. He said, you've heard it said that thou shalt not kill. And what he's doing is he's acknowledging what has become normal. Even it's a good normal. It's good if you're normalist, don't kill. But he says, but I say unto you, and when he says that, he said, this is what is normal thought and normal perspective for you, but I'm challenging you with the normalcy of the kingdom, which is a whole different ballgame than what you're accustomed to. Because I tell you, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. He said, you've also heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, of course, that's a good normal. I'm trying to challenge and provoke some of you that think that everything is okay because there's nothing really wrong with what's normal for you. Needing a new normal isn't because your old normal is so perverted and corrupt and sinful. It may simply be because it's backwards when it comes to the kingdom of God. Or it goes in the right direction, just not far enough. He said, you've heard it said, this is what your normal thought is. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, there's a new way to look at this in the kingdom. He said, I'm, but I say unto you that if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery. 
He goes on to say in the same chapter, he says, you've also heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That that's no longer going to be normal in the kingdom. For in the kingdom, here's what I say unto you, love thy neighbor, love your enemies. He says, you've heard it said that thou shalt not break an oath. He said, I'm telling you, you shall not even make one. Go read that, Matthew chapter 3 on your own time. Because that's a lot to unpack. I'm just trying to challenge you with this idea that the majority of the time that Jesus, he wasn't just walking around going, hey guys, check this out. And doing a miracle, turning water into wine and doing some, you know, so almost like, you know, an illusion, a magic show for impression's sake. He was trying to change everything about the way people talked, the way they thought, the way they acted, the way they perceived and understood life to be. Challenging their normal. Because your normal may very well be a barrier that's just waiting to be broken. I read it again this week. I love the story. I actually put it, 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 put it in my book originally. Um, Roger Bannister. How many of you know the story of Roger Bannister? You know, Roger Bannister was the first human being in the history of mankind to run the four minute or break the barrier, the four minute mile. Ran in three minutes and 59 seconds. Still below four, four minutes. But the point is, is for as long as humanity has been running races, maybe the exception of Elijah who outran a chariot, but he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. In terms of athletic competition, nobody had ever broken or ran the mile in under four minutes. Nobody. The school of thought was the human body is not, in, not even capable of performing at a level that would, that, that would render that. The heart, they had all, you know, everybody had their reasons. The medical community had their reasons. Your heart couldn't beat fast enough. Your heart couldn't sustain. I mean, it was just, that was the norm. The normal was if you run a four minute, 4.5, four minute, five second mile, you're like one of the fastest people on the planet. Until Roger Bannister ran it in three minutes and 59 seconds. Do you know how many people have run, in, run the mile under four minutes since then? 1,400 people. Because what, there, there are barriers in, 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 in life that we just accept. And because, you know, because nobody had run a mile in under four minutes, it wasn't hurting anybody. I mean, nobody was sitting around going, oh, I don't know what's going to happen to humanity. This could be the end of us. Nobody can break the four-minute mark. You know, we're, we're going to implode. Nobody, it wasn't hurting them, but, but there's something about, how can I say this? There should be something in us that refuses. I think it's one of the things that, that happens when we are rendered a new creation in Christ. When we come to God and, and we, we pass from darkness into light. It, it, even if it didn't come natural for you, I think God puts something in us that goes, you know what? I don't have to accept what is good for everybody else. It's not good for me. What has always been doesn't necessarily have to be what always will be. 
In other words, there's a drive. It's, it's, there's a drive that, that gets in our spirit that, I, that, that maybe you didn't have before. Normals are meant to be broken. The normals in your life are just waiting for you. They're waiting for you to challenge it. For you to lift your eyes and see that even if it's not bad, if it's not hurting you, that's not a good enough excuse to grasp something and hang on to it and then defend it. Because here's what happens, right? It's like all of our systems... Just all of your internal systems. I'm not going to get scientific on you, but just smile. Take a deep breath and stay relaxed. Over time, you do stuff. I don't even like to call it, you know, subconsciously. Let's just call it the things that have we that that have we learned to do on auto. Because subconscious, I think we do have a subconscious mind. Of course we do. But I think we throw too much into that domain because it signifies, you know, as long as it's something done subconsciously, we are somewhat not responsible for. Because how can I be responsible for something I'm not completely aware of? Your conscious mind is well aware of what's going on in your subconscious mind. It doesn't mean that you're like, you got another brain somewhere and it's doing its own thing. You have no idea. It just means that you've done something in a certain way for so long that you do it on autopilot. And you don't think about it. But if you stop, you know it's there. Right? So what happens is, over the course of time, we do certain things so you know, often enough and for so long that our internal systems, our, our heart, our, our soul, our, our, our spirit, our subconscious mind, are you happy? It, it decides, it accepts, okay, this is what is normal. And then it employs all of its mechanisms and capabilities to constantly recreate what it has been told is normal. That's why you can be around people that have been traumatized and raised among environments of just constant drama and they don't know how to function. I'm not trying to be cute today. They don't even know how to function in an environment of peace. And so when things are very peaceful and everything's calm, they will start acting a fool and not even know why, but everything in them goes, peace, peace, what's that? Peace, no. I don't even know how to function unless it's chaos. Right? Look, at you, we all have friends. We, you know, everything's all hunky-dory for, for a while. And, and the, you know, they, they come around, everything's just peaceful. And it's like, in, in 10 minutes of them showing up, it's like all hell broke loose. Why, first of all, why did you come? Secondly, what's, what is that gift called? How do you do that? How do you walk into a perfectly normal and peaceful environment every single time? And before you even open your mouth, you've already got this. These people are fighting each other and everybody's fussing and arguing. It's not always a negative thing. It's just that's the way, that's what happens. You do a certain thing a certain way for so long that your systems, everything internally inside of you goes, check, that's normal. This is the way that happens now. I pulled out of the parking lot just the other day. Every one of you have done this as well. Right here at the church, pulled out of the parking lot, drove into the gas station, 
Got me a Diet Coke because it was morning. That's what champions drink in the mornings. I pulled out of there. I don't even know what happened. The next thing I realized, I was pulling in my driveway, way up in Atascacita. And as soon as I pulled in and put it in park, I thought, I started remembering like intersections. And I thought, I'm not even, was that light green? Did I run around? I don't remember. You know what? How many of y'all done that? Right? I mean, you've, t- but you've done, how many of y'all think about every single turn? You, you look at every traffic light, you know, you don't even pay attention. Right? Go to work every morning. You can just almost close your eyes. That's why some people think they can still text and drive. You know, they, because you've been doing things for so long that your systems, your whole life, all that you are learns to do it that way. And it's on autopilot. And one of the dangers to your normals being so-so. You've heard, remember the, 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 the statement, good is the enemy of great. The challenge for us is, is when you, especially if when you come to Christ and you surrender and your life was in shambles, all of ours were, but some of it, with some of us, it was more obvious than for others, right? But your life, I mean, you truly came from darkness into light. Your life was so radically changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Come on, somebody that, that, that. Your bad days now are far greater than your best days before you came to Jesus, right? And, and so, and so because your new level of normalcy is much better than it was and it's pretty good, then we almost subconsciously resent being challenged to abandon that to go to yet another higher place. But the fact is, is that you don't get everything. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Galatians. I, I got to hurry. In Galatians, Paul said the heir, even though he is the heir, the son, he's an heir of all things. He's still under the care and the supervision, Galatians 4, of stewards and guardians until the appointed time of the father. He's the son. It's blood rights. He is the heir of all things of the whole, the whole family inheritance, but you don't give it to him when he's 14. The reason why we, when we come to an altar or at a Bible study, a tribe, a a, a small group or whatever, whenever we were, when we came to Christ and we just wake up the next morning and everything that was that ever going to be, you know, flow through us, everything we're ever going to experience is all just accessible instantly. We wouldn't know what to do with it. We'd be dangerous. It's like teaching a little kid, you know, six lessons of Taekwondo. And he learned a couple of kicks and he's learned just enough to be a danger to himself. (laughs) Living with drama, positive, negative perspectives. We learn these things either by nurture or by nature. Both. Some things, when we say by nature, look, some things you just came wired to do well. Or at least wired to do a certain way. Right? Have you ever done this? I've looked at, look, this may seem cruel, but it's just observations. You ever looked at a, you know, four, five-year-old kid? 
and, and, and listen to them talk and, and their disposition and go, that kid's going to be negative. Chicken, you would not admit you're, you're afraid. <laughs> In other words, or, or, or the opposite, or like that kid's going to go, he's going to, you know, he, look how he's sharing his toys and look how he's working the room and you know, he's five and, and whatever. The point is, is there are, there are certain things that come to us naturally. And then there are obviously the things that come by nurturing the things from, you know, constant exposure to certain environments. And if you grew up, you can grow up in a household of people that didn't know Christ, but were very positive and had a very healthy outlook and perspective on life. Nurture, things that genetically come easy for us. It's the stuff in our DNA, nurturing the things that we've learned through observation, osmosis of associations. You can get around certain people and just pick stuff up, yes? Or by environmental conditioning. But here's the powerful truth that I'm going to spend a couple of moments on tonight. A couple. Literally, I'm almost done. Is that in the same way that the normal in your life is determined by a combination of both what comes by nature and what comes by nurture. As a believer, it works the same way because the scripture says... That we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things are passed away and all things become new. You get a new nature. So you're not bound by and you can't use as an excuse or as a crutch the things that came into your life. The things that are a part of you by nature. Because you have a new nature. John 16, 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit is within us. I'm paraphrasing. But he says the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will not speak of himself, but he will receive. Jesus is talking. He said he will receive from me and share it to you. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is given to you as the second part of that combination. The Holy, you, in other words... You develop a new normal in the same way your old normal was developed. That was developed by nurture and by nature. Are you with me? So I can move on. Say by nature and by nurture. When you come into the kingdom of God, you are conditioned. Your normal is determined in the same way. It's just determined by a new nature and a new nurturer. Now you have the Holy Spirit within you that is constantly warring against your old ways and your old normal to make sure that your normal matches the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. Say amen. So your normal is now being determined by the Holy Spirit and not your past hurts and pains and your old dysfunctions. I don't care how mean and cantankerous your daddy was. You now have a perfect heavenly father. So that excuse is taken away. And if you let it happen, it'll just happen. When I was... Uh, my brother-in-law, we, you know, some of you know, my brother-in-law passed away in November. We lost him at a very young age, 59 years old, lost him to leukemia. So I was back at the church that I was raised in and my first full-time ministry appointment um, was as the youth pastor and then the associate pastor there in San Diego. 
And I, it just it got old. The number of people that came up to me and said, oh, my goodness. You look just, these are people that knew my father, you know, decades ago. You look just like your father. I don't remember a day in my life where I've ever looked in the mirror and tried to look more like my dad. <laughs> never. I've never, I've never focused and constantly just tried. I look like him because that's my dad. The nature aspect of this is you used to be strangers and aliens to the kingdom of God, but now you're in the kingdom, and so you are not limited to the things that come to you by nature in this natural realm. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. You may have been raised in an environment that was cursed with chaos and, and, and tension and animosity and hostility and people hating each other and unforgiveness abounds and the air is always thick enough to cut with a knife. But you've been brought into a kingdom that is characterized by righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come on, high five your neighbor and say your normal has to become new. The Holy Spirit. Hmm. I've got past hurts. I've got past pains. You have dysfunctions. (laughs) Oh, and I have some dysfunctions. That I spent way too many years of my adult life not excusing them but lessening the urgency to identify and attack and change those because they were rooted in legitimate dysfunctions and hurts and pains that I did not ask for. Did not ask for the hero of my life, my father, on my 12th birthday when I'm blowing out candles. I didn't ask for him to walk out of the house, leave my mother and his kids and disappear. Didn't ask for that. But that created certain normals in me. You know what it created? It created, my normal thought was, when it comes to God, I'm only going to be able to get to a certain point. Because if my heavenly father is anything like my earthly father, there will come a point when I will be abandoned. Anybody in here with daddy issues? Don't raise their hand. Father fractures. You're in, my, you're, in my, you're in my tribe, okay? My next book that's coming out is called The Father Effect. Because we need to be healed of that stuff. Rejection. All that kind of stuff. I didn't even associate certain ways the way I responded to situations. The way I reacted to people. Because here's what can happen. You, that becomes your normal. You just know up front. There's no relationship that's going to be totally authentic and pure and totally long-lasting, right? I mean, that's, I'm, we're talking about the old normal. Don't say amen like that's the truth. So I, I'm, I'm not going to sit around and wait for anybody to punk me. Not that kind of guy. I was wired 
as a fighter all of my life. And so there's going to come a point when I sense that you're getting ready to reject me. Or you getting ready to abandon me. I'm going to beat you to the punch and I'm going to strike first. That's the way I was taught. Until that excuse was pulled out of me by a man of God that said, when in the world are you going to let that stuff go? Your limitations are not established and determined. You have a new nature. You have a new father paradigm. You've got a new normal to align yourself with. Old things are passed away and some things become new. No, all things become new. Even the stuff I never had to try to look and resemble my father. Paul lets us know in Timothy that it is the Holy Spirit's job to bring us into the fullness of the image of Christ unto a perfect man. Or in other words, a man that looks like They looked at Jesus and said, we really want to see the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus said, you mean this three years I've been walking around with you guys, or you've been walking around with me, and you still ask that question? I'm telling you, when you see me, you've seen the Father. The Holy Spirit is given to us to challenge our paradigms, to challenge our old normals, to recreate new normals, new language, new thought processes, new expectations, new beliefs, so that we come to a better resemblance of our Father. And man, it happens. It happens before you know it. Remember, Peter, I'm closing. I'm going to close with this. Uh, um, On the day of Pentecost, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. It was the pneuma. The breath of God breathed into that place. And the first thing that happens, they all began to speak with other tongues. Little cloves of fire set up on their heads. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. There'll be a whole lot of that going on here Sunday night. And everybody's stumbling around. And I mean, everybody, anybody, anybody in here ever been drunk on the Holy Ghost? I remember when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I was, I was seven years old. And, you know, the service is over now. I've been, I, I mean, you know, in the Pentecostal church we grew up in, it was a group project. When you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, there was a good chance that there'd be somebody holding one arm up. Somebody holding another arm up, somebody massaging your back, because we had to tarry. That's what we were taught. You tarry, which means you spend hours at the altar until you get baptized in the Holy Ghost. I was so angry when I grew up and realized all I had to do is go down and ask for it. <laughs> anyway, so, so you know, and it, it came on me. It came on me like a bolt of lightning. And, you know, for, for a couple of hours, and it's finally, it's, it's all over. And, you know, we go to a Hobo Joe's. That was like a Bob's big boy. You don't know what that is, right? It was like a Denny's. <laughs> Hobo Joe's in the, 
in the 70s was was the place and we'd we're, we're everybody went to hobo joe's after church and i'm sitting there as a little kid in the booth and i can't open my mouth and i'm trying to tell my mom i want pecan pie a la mode you know heated up with ice cream and it won't come out and i couldn't talk english for two days every time i open my mouth i shut up i shut up and i'm looking at I'm, I'm in my right mind i'm not like in heaven glory somewhere i'm in That came upon the 120 believers on the day of Pentecost to the extent that everybody around them was, 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 was trying to figure out what in the world is wrong with these people. Some of them had the observation, well, they look, they look like they're all drunk, but that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's nine o'clock in the morning and Peter stands up and he preaches a message so completely yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It's not even him. And he preaches. And in that message, he says things that his old normal wouldn't even have accepted. He preached things that he himself didn't yet believe. He's looking at different nationalities and different ethnicities and he blurts out this promise is unto you and your children and to all that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call and everybody shouting and hollering amen, amen. <laughs> two chapters later Peter has a vision and in the vision God's simply trying to tell him go and witness to this guy and the guy's not a Jew and he says, not so, Lord. Well, what were you just saying two chapters ago? We measure it by chapters. I don't know how many days it was. My point is, is this is not just discipline or work that you have to do. The key to this is to come to a place in your life where you are so completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And then you stay that way long enough for him to lead and guide and instruct you in a way that may oppose the way you've always done it. Everything changes. Everything has to change. Paul said it like this. Think it not strange when fiery trials come upon you. The first question we would ask when everything turns upside down in our life before Jesus would have, would have, would have, would have been, what in the world is going on? Why me? And what have I done? And who's, you know, there's, there's conspiracies. And what, Paul said, that we don't think that's strange because we understand that adversity and, and challenges and trials and tribulations are coming into our life to reveal a greater glory. So we rejoice over tribulation. He talked about the normal in terms of your language change. And he said, don't say who will bring Christ from above. In other words, the old way of talking would have been, man, if just if Jesus was right here in the flesh, you know, those disciples did some amazing things, but that's because they had the son of God walking right there next to them. What does Paul say? 
He said, no, no, that's, we, don't, we don't talk that way anymore. Don't say who will ascend to the heavens and bring Christ down. But what do we say? The word of faith is nigh thee even in thy mouth. So we don't just say, Lord, I wish you were here by my side. I wish you were walking with me. I wish you were here in the flesh. We begin to speak the very thing that he would speak when he was here. I'm out of time. I'm out of time. New expectation. Why does this matter? I love what all Roberts used to say all the time. Expect a miracle. Turn to your neighbor and say, you get what you expect. Okay, I'm, I'm done for tonight. I'm not finished, but I'm done for tonight. Oh, Lord, lift your hands for just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. have not seen ears have not heard neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us as you stand with me would you look at the person next to you and say your normal is getting ready to change it's getting ready to change And if you'll just submit to the Holy Spirit, it'll change before you even realize what happened. 